Hello everybody and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. Conversations with entrepreneurs, creatives, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. Today my guest is Scott Martin. Scott is an ambitiously lazy marketing guru from Canada. He shares his incredible story about growing up in a freaking cold country. He tells us how he replaced going to college with real-life experience in Hawaii and how he still travels the world in search of waves and warmth. The story of his epiphany that changed his career path when he got stranded in Miami airport with only $80 in his pocket is well worth a listen. As a marketing geek myself, our discussion gets a bit nerdy. We talk about his take on sustainable growth marketing, creating online communities, and what I would call the holy grail, passive income. This is a must listen if you're involved in any way with social media, building an online business and growing a sustainable community of followers or clients. If there are any digital nomads out there, this is definitely an episode to save and replay, even if you're not a surfer. In fact, Scott had so many relevant things to say, I decided to split this episode into two parts. In part one, we delve into Scott's background. We discuss what it is to be ambitiously lazy. We discuss growth hacking, writing a book and his latest startup, Swellness.co. In part two, he tells us about the year he decided to take off with the one and only Tony Robbins, aka I Am Not Your Guru from the Netflix documentary, and he explains how this personal development journey helped him pulverise the glass ceiling. We also discuss how, for years, he's been creating online communities through hashtags, domains and Facebook groups. And we talk about the importance of business models that give back to communities. We also talk about the fine art of cooperation in an online world. I had a great time recording this episode. Scott is a fantastic storyteller and a mind-blowing person to talk to. So without further ado, please welcome Scott Martin. Hi Scott, how are you? Amazing. Thank you so much for having me on your program. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, do you think that in a few words you could introduce yourself to our listeners? You bet. Um, well, my name is Scott Martin. Uh, I consider myself a multi-passionate uh, marketing entrepreneur, uh, which is me weaving my personal passions into my everyday business. Uh, I've been a, a marketer um, over the past 25 years. Uh, working mostly in uh, the capacity of agency services, uh, but I've also been part of and and launched both as a consultant, but uh, my own my own programs, uh, uh, several startups over the course of the years, and I have um, you know withstanding that I, I've built up uh, quite a bit of communities and and online sort of uh, uh, networks, if you will, around what I'm passionate about, both in marketing and surfing and those kind of things. That's excellent. So, um, so I guess you're a serial entrepreneur. Um, but if we could sort of rewind a bit, um, can you tell us about your first job and how actually you got attracted to marketing? My, my, you want my first job or my first job that I attracted to marketing? Well, maybe both. Um, so we could get a bit of background. My first job was actually as a busboy at Chi-Chi's at age 14. And the reason I took that job, it's funny that you, that we have this conversation because I just talked about this last night was, the reason I took that job was because I love Mexican food 
And it was the first Mexican food restaurant in Calgary. And I just wanted to go there to eat the food. <laughs> That's the only reason I took that job. Well, I mean, obviously, because I want to make money. But, I mean, it has nothing to do with marketing. It was me just loving chimichangas, I guess. <laughs> I love that. Um, and so, so did you sort of go to college or did you just dive into to your passion of marketing um, as soon as possible? That's an interesting story. So, you know, when I was going through high school, um, you know, I, I, I did I did not connect with school much at all. I mm-hmm. connected with the social scene. In fact, I had a VW van, a 72 VW van with uh, um, I, at the time I was really into windsurfing and um, and in Canada, it's freaking cold. So, you know, I skip school all the time and go windsurfing. And that's all I did. And all I could dream about all through high school was moving to North Shore, Hawaii. So you know, for me, um, you know, a university or college wasn't even on my radar. It, it didn't even occur to me. I didn't even care. I think in, in a lot of ways I was just like, like school for me was uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like social studies maybe and, and that's about it. But for the most part, um, I spent time doodling and looking at Surfer Magazine. So I was <laughs> distracted and, um, and interested in getting out of Canada because it's so cold. And that's all I could think about. I was obsessed. Right. That's, that's a really good story, actually. And, um, and so how did, um, how did you transfer from windsurfing to surfing full stop? What I did was, um, so I left, so when I left high school, I worked for a couple of years and all I did was save money. And what I did was when I was, I think I was like 20, 20 years old, I had enough money and I, um, and I basically uh, got on a plane and flew to the North Shore of Maui with my windsurfing gear. Never been, I mean, I've windsurfed on lakes, right? And um, I ended up staying a year and a half in uh, Hawaii. And uh, it was such a journey going there. And, and I was like, I had no idea how how uh, broke I was going to become because Hawaii is so expensive if you live there. And so you can imagine somebody who's like a Canadian can't work at a job, had to work under the tables. and Because um, of the green cards sort of issue and everything. Yeah, but back then it was a little a little different. And because I'm Canadian, it wasn't obvious. Like, you know, I basically you know, walked, talked and, and looked like an American to a certain degree. So, um, but I kind of like, I basically really, I went through a couple of odd jobs, really scraping together uh, money to get myself a little, they call it a Maui, Maui cruiser, Maui uh, beater. And I basically, um, you know, was working at these odd jobs and I, I landed on this one job that was for, and I ended up doing it for about six months, which was landscaping. And um, and I got worked like a dog. I was like digging, like working with a bunch of local Hawaiian guys that just saw me as this like howly that they just got gave me the worst possible jobs. And I remember at the beginning, I was I was fairly uh, discriminated against, if you will. I was like totally like ostracized. But after like three or four months, like I just was head down work. I was so happy to be in Hawaii that. They couldn't break my spirit because I was like, yeah, I'm working and I only get two days a week that I can rip out to Kanaha to go windsurfing, but I'm living in the dream in Hawaii. So for me, it was like, I was this like, like you could not uh, uh, take away my spirit. And and eventually I just won them over because I was just a hardworking guy. And most people, if you've lived in Hawaii, they don't work very much. Like if there's surf here, I showed up one day to work. True story. I showed up to work and um, at this landscaping company at the, at the yard. And I rolled up and there's nobody here. And I'm like, and the owner was there. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, it's Tuesday or something, right? And he's like, <laughs> uh, it's it's like there's no wind. It's six feet. 
everybody is like at the beach. What are you doing here? Like, I thought you came here to surf. And I was like, when he said that, it actually triggered um, for me, I guess, uh, a different relationship of I was working and happy to just have two days of work weekends to go windsurfing. And of course, living in Hawaii, you get maybe a sunset, you know, in, but windsurfing, you kind of got to, by the time I was done work, it was enough time to, you know, get my gear and go out. So I was only doing those two days a week for the first little bit. And, um, um, and, it, and I just, I was blown away and, and I just sort of, it changed the way I looked at the way people live in the islands there. It was just such a cool lifestyle where people sometimes go, you know what? I'm just taking a personal day. But for me, I was such a hardworking guy and I needed the money that he loved me. And uh, he ended up, I, I just came up to him. I think it must've been not long after he made that comment to me. And I said to him, I go, uh, I can't remember his name. And I said, you know, I'm here to windsurf and I, I've come all the way from Canada. <laughs> I need to find a way. I can't, I mean, I, I like working for you, but like the hours and sort of the schedule and stuff. And, and I just can't get enough windsurfing in. And uh, he goes, come back to me tomorrow. I have an idea. And I'm like, okay. So, and I remember the next day he walked me around the, uh, the staging area where we have the landscaping plants and stuff. And he, and he goes, how would you like to show up every morning, load up the trucks and then water the plants all day? You can be done by 11. That's when the wind picks up. Right. I'm like, yes, I had that job where I literally did that for like, I think six, eight months. And I, I lived the dream. I got to, I got to water plants they're all tropical plants. And today I love watering plants. It's like one of my favorite things to do in the world. And I think it, cause it brings me back to this, like watering these areca palms and, uh, you know, and all those kind of things. And, and of course. The reward of being able to go windsurfing afterwards. I mean, that's just fantastic. Oh my gosh. Like 11 o'clock was enough time for me to rip back to my house, eat a peanut butter sandwich and go windsurf every day. I did. I hit that repeat button every day and I accelerated my windsurfing. Um, into, you know, where I was at Hukipa on a, you know, a mast high day. Uh, and, um, you know, and that took, of course, a long time. But, I mean, I, I, was, I was obsessed. Um, and, uh, you know, and in the course of that sort of, you know, working like that to, to live for my passion, I think I had a, a, a girlfriend who tried to follow me to Hawaii and, and, and I made it very clear my, my disclaimer, which is windsurf comes first. And like, oh, yeah, 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 no problem. Well, that lasted about like three weeks, a month or something, <laughs> I remember. Oh, uh, but I was determined because I knew that in my mind, I knew that this was a gem of an opportunity that I probably wasn't going to have again to be living in this moment and to be windsurfing and living my dream. So anyways, that's my, my uh, uh, I decided to do that instead of go to university. And that was my uh, uh, my first sort of like, casting me into a different direction when everyone else was going to university I was living in Hawaii that's excellent so um so once you came back from Hawaii um what happened did so yeah so that's like like that'd be fast forwarding a lot like I mean from what happened when I came back from Hawaii of course there was a mistake to come back in November in Canada I don't know why I decided to do that talking <laughs> to my system but I ended up working as a waiter uh, job and I ended up basically living in Calgary uh for a number of years but I just basically would work as a waiter and um, take off, and I'd go on trips. I went to Baja. I lived out of a van for uh, a month. I went to, um, you know, Costa Rica, uh, Mexico several times, California. Like I just, I basically was just like travel to surf. Um, it, it was fast forwarding to I think what you're referring to is when I really started my career was when I actually did my last uh, trip to Costa Rica, where I was there for about three and a half months. Mm-hmm. Uh, at like, you know, long hair. If you, you know, if you know me now, it's like I don't have any hair, but I had long hair. <laughs> I uh, 
um, was, uh, uh, and that's again, a girl's involved in this. I was in Costa Rica for three, for three months and a girl decided to come down and visit with me. We we're friends and we, and we ended up breaking up in Costa Rica. And I don't know why I think it was just, I don't know why I just did that. And she went to the Cayman Islands to go work bartending. And I, I bailed on my Costa Rica trip and I went to Cayman Islands to follow her and I surprised her in the Cayman Islands. Uh -huh. So when I went to Cayman Islands, I, I sold my surfboard to get the flight to go to, to Cayman Islands. And um, if you know anything about the Cayman Island law, it's like you're not allowed to look for work on the island. You have to, if you're a foreigner, you have to apply off island. That was back in the day. I don't know if it's changed yeah. now. Anyway, so um, I was hitchhiking around and liberally talking about the idea that I'm here in Cayman Islands. I'm surprising my girlfriend. I'm looking for a job. Little did I know it was actually one of the guys giving me a ride was a, a customs immigration off. And um, the next day I, I was deported. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And I had like 80 bucks, like no word of a lie. I, I had less than a hundred dollars oh and uh, they deported me. It was very, it was very embarrassing. Like they did a strip search. They, you know, they pulled my bags off the plane. Even after they, like, it was just everyone in the plane knew that I was just like, I was the reason that the plane was held up. Like the whole experience was just like, they're basically saying, and they, I probably looked like I was some sort of drug dealer. I was looking pretty ragged because I've been in Central America for three months. So um, uh, they wanted to make sure I was not welcome. So I, I was in the Miami airport, and when we landed, it was like near the end of the day. And and in that wing of the airport, the when the tickets, uh, 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 when the end of the day closed, the, the tickets, they kind of have to pull those chains down, like the, sort of like yeah. the gate, right? And they all close. So I'm like, I'm in the airport going, I have nowhere to go. I know I don't want to burn my money on just one night of stay. So I'm going to stay in the airport and try to figure this out. And there was a bookstore mm -hmm. that like little like convenience stores in the airports. So um, there's a book there and it was called Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. Oh my God. And, oh yeah. True story. And, uh, um, and I, so I, I spent my part of my money on that and some junk food. And I basically read that almost, I didn't read the whole book, but I read almost the entire book overnight. I didn't, I didn't put the book down. I didn't sleep. I read the book. I, I was like, it couldn't have been more, perfect the timing of me reading that book and what just occurred to me and this life change of like kind of like what am I doing kind of thing and it was yeah, really and hard. you got nothing to lose kind of thing you got nothing to lose right so anyways the morning happens the, the the they arrive at their ticket counter and there was three airlines that were flying back to, to Canada um and so I went to the first time it was Delta Airlines and uh, I went to them and I, I gave this like polished like speech like why they need to like back in the day this like for me I showed them my passport go look how many places I travel I'm like I'm a big spender of travel I will tell everyone how amazing you are. like I just basically <laughs> it was like the, the pitch of pitches and uh, they're like yeah I know and uh, went to United Airlines and revised it of course I'm sure and and same thing and and they just like no I went to American Airlines and I you know and I just like same thing and the guy, like when I handed him my password, I remember he just looked at me and just very like, just, he didn't even like, he just kind of didn't even pause. He just kind of looked at me, handed back my passport. And he goes, Mr. Martin, you're flying back to Calgary. And I was like in that moment going, Oh my gosh, like the power of this book and being able to like manifest, like I was just like, it all came together for me in terms of reading information and, and the power of like what it could do in your life. And that was yeah. when my relationship with books and sort of like that connection of like I can make stuff happen by reading That's and so amazing so to kind of like finish that as I, I flew home uh, 
I literally like I've, I'd gone from being a waiter before to I landed within a week. I was a bar manager at a bar. Like I went just boom, I'm going big. Um, and it was at a new restaurant that was opening up. It's a very famous uh, chain in Canada called uh, Earl's and Joey Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. The owner at that time was opening that restaurant and, um, he had a couple um, sort of like um, events that he was doing, and I came up with a couple names uh, that he liked. And he's like, "You got an act for this," and he ended up passing me books. And I really um, started having a ferocious reading habit. And from there, as my uh, entrepreneurial journey started to begin, that's amazing. That's a really good story. Who inspired you to create your first company, and and what was it? Who inspired me to make my first company? Yeah. So, my first company. Um, that I, like I started lots of ideas. I wouldn't say it was like an incorporated company, Mm -hmm. but my first company that I incorporated was born out of basically being really disenchanted with the advertising marketing industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd been working for an agency that was, um, really frustrating me because I was bringing in quality clients, quality jobs, and they just were greedy and they just wanted to build a client more. That's great. And what did it feel like when you got, when you signed your first contract? Oh, it was amazing because um, it happened within a week. Like we literally, we got business cards at a Staples or Kinko's or whatever it was. And we literally, the one of the clients actually, so we had, we signed three clients within like, I think 10 days or two weeks. But one of the clients that actually we signed up was a company called Future Shop, which is a, a huge electronic um, stereos and different things across Canada mm-hmm. retailer. Um, they were one of the companies that that um, left uh, because of of uh, the the former agency's strategy. And I asked them for another shot. And I said, you know, we're starting this company. Would you give us a shot? And they they just jumped on it right away. That's so uh, it felt it was amazing because I'm like, oh my god, is this easy? Little <laughs> did I know we just had a, either a bit of lucky streak and and it was just the right time. But we had a very successful career. But like, never have I had three clients sign within ten days at that capacity. But it would happen at the right moment for us at the start of our business so uh that was definitely motivating today you're the ceo of groundswell marketing can you tell me a bit more about groundswell marketing you bet so groundswell marketing is my current agency um it's more of a consultancy than an agency i would say mm-hmm. uh i'm the principal i have uh, um someone that works with me named olivia cortez who's uh, just a smart brilliant woman that um you know supports me and and she's a strategist as well but Primarily, it's um, uh, a business around consulting with uh, companies and entrepreneurs around sustainable growth marketing. Um, today, I do have clients, and but my intention long term is that I'm working on my own my own projects. Like I'm actually my own agency uh, for myself. So that's the long term. But there's a reality as an entrepreneur, you got to you know you have to pay the bills, and um, so that's what I'm uh, doing. But I also have some internal projects that I'm marketing through Groundswell uh, as well. So. Um, interestingly, like the fact that I've um, started this agency, uh, ironically, like just before we started this podcast, only an hour ago, um, I was on another call and I made the decision, like literally, and I didn't even tell you before we, we started chatting, uh, I made the decision to launch my book. Um, actually, I made an agreement, the agreement sent to me by the publisher and um, it's official. I'm officially starting to write my book. It'll be, um, if I, all things go correctly in terms of the timeline that we discussed, um, it'll be out in uh, February 2019. That's that's excellent news, and thank you for sharing um, sharing it on the podcast. Great. And yeah, what's no the problem. book going to be about? Um, 
groundswell sustainable growth marketing. <laughs> exactly <laughs> what my business is. So, you know, it's, it's, so to maybe describe it more loosely, what, what does that really mean to somebody is um, sustainable growth marketing is that growth, growth marketing is something that's um, become a little bit uh, on trend, uh, growth hackers and, and so forth. Um, this isn't about, you know, tricks and, and tips. It's about creating a sustainable way that you can control your destiny with marketing and not have the advertising, um, like social media budgets that flux or mm. different things that, that come around you and you become uh, vulnerable to them. It's how to actually create your own, um, you know, if you think of businesses today that, that spend money on advertising uh, alone and they don't try to capitalize and create like a, uh, an email list or, or their own following, they're constantly going to have to spend money um, to go get more customers. And so what I'm trying to create and teach and create a program for is basically a, an ecosystem where you continually uh, manage uh, that process and you have your own network of, of leads that you can work from. Yeah, your take on growth marketing is really interesting because I experienced being really frustrated by Facebook. Um you know when they changed their quote-unquote privacy policies? Well, from one day to the next, they decided to make companies pay to be visible to their own fans. And that just made building that fan page completely pointless. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Agreed. The, the really, it's, it's so disheartening, you know, to see, and I've felt it myself, you know, where I've built up even my own personal, you know, page blog page where it's at like 17,000 followers and I can only talk to like 500 it's really disheartening to see that like how many people have invested so much time and and I think probably the biggest thing is for anyone that's listening to kind of think about is that's not going to change so don't kid yourself like no matter if it's a new platform whatever it is there's always going to be a move for that platform because they're providing a service to monetize it in a way that they can, that's an advantage to them. So they create these layers, they make it free so they get mass volume, but then they make it very difficult and expensive for you to continue to work with them. So, um, you know, for me, my, my strategy for them is to take advantage of those platforms today while they're growing and migrate them to um, multiple channels. Don't just think of it as email only because the reality is not most, not everybody is like interested in getting emails and email email open rates are, are actually collapsing. You know, if you look at five years ago, even 10 years ago, uh, but you know, it's, it's so it's, you have to look at it as a whole ecosystem and, and basically be where your clients are. But if you can get them, what I call, you know, migrating to multiple channels, then you have a good shot at, you know, being able to communicate with them. So across one of your channels when you're publishing across all platforms. Now, that sounds really sort of um, challenging because I know a lot of people that are listening are going, oh, my God, you know, like I've got an Instagram, I got Twitter, I got to put those things out. But if you if that's part of what I what I'm going to architect in this in my book is how you can make it frictionless and how you can actually achieve that in a sustainable way, because the way most people are doing it right now is they're almost like silo publishing. Um meaning they're going in one platform posting, going to another platform posting. They're they're kind of going about like like a, a bird pecking seed, right? Like as opposed to, you know, really making it and and taking your time. I call it spinning plates versus pushing the domino. It's like taking the time to do a build setup, find out what's frictionless, which which ways that, for example, like I just set up a Zapier, which is an API that makes um, Instagram publish the photo right to my Twitter account. 
for example. That's just a hack. But what that does, it means that I really, for Twitter, I mean, I don't have to republish and, and take that extra step of publishing all that information on Twitter separately. I can just publish once to Instagram and it publishes through. So the idea of like making yeah. a bit of a domino effect. So to me, I think if people take a step back and they really think about, first of all, what's the, what's the priority channels that my clients are on? How do I migrate them to a channel that I can control? And make no mistake, the only way you control it is your own, is your own direct communication. So having permission directly with them to communicate with them is ideal. And I think email is the holy grail. But, um, you know, to me, it's like really looking at how you can make your program, whatever you're trying to communicate and reaching that audience. And then also sharing with that audience going, hey, I'm also over here. And don't don't just mirror what you're saying in one place, because what's the point of following? It's actually having a different purpose in different places. So, you know, that whole like, how do you do that sustainably and how do you actually create content without it? Just like I know a lot of people, it's like keeping up with the Joneses, like. It's like it's like an arms race, you know, for better pictures, better tash tags and stuff. And to me, I'm like over it. Like to me, I'm like there's everybody keeps coming up with more tricks. There's no marketers going, okay, you need to do this, and this is where the hotspot is. I'm taking a completely different approach. I'm like make it frictionless, make things sustainable, and actually start thinking about how can you attract people in terms of your value proposition, where you know it's easy to be able to want to follow you as opposed to you're shouting to them and going, please listen to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's a finesse. And I guess it, there's also a sort of question about finding your niche, but that's basically, you know, the, the closer you are to that, to your niche um, uh, customer, your targeted customer, the, the, the better and more effective your message is. Um, but that's quite difficult to work out, especially when you start out in business. You don't necessarily have all the tricks in, of the trade and you just, do trial and error for a long time. So um, that's really good advice, actually. I think that you're right. I mean, I think you're right on that. Uh, I think that you're, you're, that comment, people should probably have a pen out and really take that in a little bit because I believe niche is the new big because there's, like, there's, you know, imagine having shoes.com or now having bamboo-shoes.com. There's a big enough audience that you can reach globally that that's a big enough business on its own. Now, again, I know there's some people that are listening, they're going, they're trying to take over the world. I mean, I'm talking to the entrepreneurs that are going, look, I want to make, uh, I want to create a very successful life. Uh, and But at the same time, I'm not trying to create, I'm not talking to the people that want to create the next Facebook. I'm talking about almost yeah. everyone else that goes, I want to make a good living. And I'm going to go surf. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That to me is the person I'm talking to. I'm talking to the person that goes, how can I'm ambitiously lazy? Like, how can I get the a recurring revenue stream and and give me the control of time and some control of money and in a, a meaningful way that I can take care of my family and have a good living? So to me, that is who I'm really directing towards. I mean, for sure, the strategies for bigger companies are totally there, but that person, like this niche talk and discussion, is that's who they should be thinking about because. I think there's just so much room to play in that niche. And so you you call yourself sorry, ambition lazy. <laughs> that's that's a new that's a new phrase. Can you explain that? Can you elaborate on that? Totally. So it's like it is anyone that knows me knows this is like exactly the way to describe me. It's like I actually like spend more time figuring out like I remember as a kid I'd figure out how, how can I get out of get doing homework or how can I get someone else to do my homework? Like I I like it's like it's like the, it's basically like my own hack at at going my like I'm, I'm <laughs> I had this one friend once that said to me goes oh my god I feel like you could do anything and I looked at it and I went that's funny because my goal in life to do as little as possible 
you know, it's like, and, <laughs> and, and, I, and it's, that sounds funny because I got all these things that I do, but the reality is, is that I, my goal, and that's what is born out of my whole philosophy, my business and marketing is how to do a lot with a little, with the least amount of effort. And, yeah. you know, so ambitiously lazy means like I'm very ambitious, but I want to do it with the least amount of work or architect a solution where, you know, I don't have to, um, you know, be on a treadmill of energy uh, to maintain that. Do you know what I mean? So it's like smarter, I guess. So so um, I guess that sort of comes to the, 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 the magic word of passive income. And have you found any hacks to sort of generate that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I've launched a business now that is executing on that called Smallness, which is a uh, with uh, my business partner, Mallory Chapman, who's a wonderful entrepreneur, who we've come together and with her, you know, talents and, and deep understanding of of online fitness and, and basically we call it surf fitness, being surfer strong. Um, we've created an online platform um, where we're actually doing a subscription-based uh, program where you can get um, daily workouts that are completely original every day with uh, uh, mindset, with, uh, you know, food, ideas, community engagement, all these sort of things. So it becomes a place that you get a source of, um, you know, inspiration, but also a good workout um, every single day. And so... So you've got videos and um, tutorials and things like that. How, how, what kind of media do you use to to get the message out? Um, every which way we can. So we actually, um, we have videos. That's primarily, uh, it's video-based. Um, so that's different. It's not just a course that you just sort of read. It does have uh, text. It's got downloaded PDFs for journaling and for exercises and also um, audio. So there's like, you know, we'll do a podcast or we'll do a, a mindset that's all audio based and it's completely accessible through your desktop or on a mobile, on a mobile app. Okay. And so there's a subscription to pay. Do, do you, what kind of um, formulas do you give like a month, every month or a yearly subscription? How did, how did you work out what was best for your, for your subscribers? Yeah, I mean, it would be, I thought, I mean, for us, we were starting out, so, like, to convince somebody to do a year program when they have never really seen it, we hadn't launched yet, would be probably, um, you know, we just didn't do it. Uh, we might down the road once we get kind of rolling more and, and provide a deeper discount for somebody that commits that longer term. But um, for now, we just decided to do it monthly so that people just could have the freedom um, to do that. We just, we just launched a, a free first month. So we're giving, like, most people give, like, a, a week trial. We're giving an entire month. We're so confident going, do this for a month. And if you don't want to keep doing it, we're okay. Like, but I'm pretty sure after a month, you're going to go, yeah, this is a pretty good because we're like Mallory spent so much energy and time on, on the, the people that are logged in and looking at everyone that's working out. She sends personal messages of encouragement, like wow. engagement and focus on that. Like no matter how, and she's going to scale. This is like, it's just amazing because of the amount, like people, I think people, that are involved, they feel that this isn't just like a enterprise of, you know, pass, uh, passive income, like a, a vending machine. It is in the sense of a business model, but it's not in terms of our emotional model, which is we really are committed to making sure that, you know, these people are cared for and we're adding value and we're engaging and we're continuing to add value to the people that started at the beginning more than the people that just came on instead of the other way around. Most people give all the value to in businesses, have you noticed that, like within in telecom, right? Like, mm -hmm. if if you if you don't do business with them, you get all the deals. Yeah. But business with them for five years, you're like, I need to switch in order to get a better deal. So, you know, we're going to take the opposite effect. It's like the people that have have been members with us, the we call them our our uh, pioneer uh, group, the first people that started with us. 
Um, and, and, and subsequently, the, the longer you're with this, the more value you're going to get over the prisoners. That's really smart, actually, so that you can capitalize on, on their good experience. And, and if you take care of them properly, then they'll talk to their friends. And yeah, It's also because I'm ambitiously lazy because I spent <laughs> so much time helping clients and businesses get new customers. And there's so much energy and cost to getting someone online. It takes way less energy to provide value and create loyalty than it is to get new customers. You know what I mean? So I think so many people get enamored with all these techniques of going, how to get like a thousand people to sign up. You know, I think there should be more programs for going, how do you get a thousand people to continue to do business with you and mm -hmm. start thinking more on those terms and that will attract more people in the end. And that's what we're focused on is that component. We're not done. Like we just got started. So like we, we've got lessons learned. Like we're, it's not like we have like a hundred percent retention rate. Like we, we need, we have work to do, but we're doing it. Like we're not ignoring it. We're going, how we ask this question every call, how are we adding more value? What can we do to, to, you know, make this a better experience? Like Mallory is like obsessed with that. And I love that about her. She's just so committed to that, that mindset of like making sure these people are, are valuing it to the, you know, to the point where, you know, our goal is to make people feel that they're getting more than they're spending. That's brilliant. Hi everybody, it's me again. Uh, so that's the end of part one. I must say I was mind blown from the very first words. I really hope you enjoyed the first part as much as I did recording it. Part two will be out next Friday and you'll be fascinated to hear about Scott's journey with Tony Robbins, aka I Am Not Your Guru. If you haven't seen it, uh, you might you can find the film on Netflix. We talk about how our paths have been crossing completely coincidentally over the past year with this community project called SurfArt. We discuss the new business models of businesses that are giving back to communities as well. Thank you ever so much for listening to part one. Until next week, you can connect with Scott via his Instagram handle at scottmartin underscore org through his marketing consultancy firm, Groundswell Marketing, www.groundswell.marketing and on Twitter at Scott Adam Martin. Scott with the capitals S, Adam with the capital A and Martin with the capital M. Next Monday on November 5th, Swellness, his online fitness company, is launching a six-week Surfer Strong Challenge. So if you'd like to join the Stoke, you can sign up on www.swellness.co. The coaches are simply amazing and totally committed to their students. And the objective is to get super strong for surfing in big conditions. If you didn't have time to pick up all the information on this episode, don't worry. You can find all the details in the show notes. Connect to my website, www.theoceanriderspodcast.com or your podcast player or my page at medium.com at The Ocean Riders Podcast. If you'd like to connect with me directly, please send an email to hello at theoceanriderspodcast.com. If you like this episode, please share the love and subscribe to my podcast on iTunes. And if you gave my podcast a five-star review on iTunes, that would really make my day. Thank you so much, Scott, for being such an awesome guest. Until next episode, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.